You're listening to TIP. You're never going to save money on the renovation. You don't save money on the renovation. I'll say it again, right? People, newbies, I don't know why. I don't know why this is a thing. I don't know why it continues to perpetuate while everybody, like people that are experienced, continue to scream from the mountaintops. You cannot cheap your way out of a renovation. In this week's episode, I interviewed Matt Borcaro to discuss how he has used a little-known government-backed loan to do a live-in flip, which is a form of house hacking. Using this strategy, Matt was able to turn a $9,500 down payment into $130,000 of equity, and he created over $2,000 of monthly cash flow. Matt has since gone on to teach hundreds of other investors his strategy, the 203k way. I hope you all enjoy this episode about a financial product that is pretty popular but doesn't get talked about a lot. At least I haven't seen it talked about much. So without further ado, let's get into this week's episode with Matt Porcaro. You're listening to Real Estate Investing by the Investors Podcast Network, where your host, Robert Leonard, interviews successful investors from various real estate investing niches to help educate you on your real estate investing journey. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Real Estate 101 podcast. As always, I am your host, Robert Leonard. And with me today, I have Matt Porcaro. Matt, welcome to the show. What's up, Robert? How you doing? Thanks for having me. Occasionally, people will get started in real estate with distressed properties and more obscure options like a 203k loan. But for the most part, I would say that people get started with simpler options like house hacking, turnkey rentals, or maybe something that needs just a little bit of rehab, not really like a full rehab with a 203k loan. So how did you get involved with 203k loans and investing using them? Well, I just wanted to be a real estate investor for a long time, right? And I, I tried a bunch of different strategies. None of them really panned out for me, to be honest, right? I was, uh, I tried to get into wholesaling, tried to get into flipping houses, but didn't really have too much money. I found out about it at a local real estate investment association group. The lady that ran it told me about it. And what was crazy about it was I had never heard of it prior to her telling me about this, right? It was something that up until this point, I thought you always needed 20% down to put down on a property, right? I also thought that that fixer-upper properties and stuff like that were only reserved for people with all cash. Foreclosures were very big at the time here in New York, given the, the housing in 2008 and, and Sandy was... New York was hit very hard by Sandy, uh, Hurricane Sandy. Ultimately, these were all new things to me that I thought were never accessible. The caveat with 203k loans is that you have to occupy the property. And in my case, being in my mid-20s, that was perfect for me because I already didn't have a house yet or didn't have a house yet at the time. You know, When I heard about the way the 203k works, I was actually kind of blown away. I actually thought it was too good to be true when I first like, found out about it. Why didn't some of those other strategies work? Why didn't traditional rentals, maybe Airbnb or even wholesaling, like what, what didn't work for those strategies for you? So in New York, right, the, you know, it's a high cost of living here, right? 20% down or 30% down. You know, if I was looking to buy a rental, right, you know, I had to come up with 20% down equity, 15% down equity, right? In my market, that's $100,000, $150,000, right? You know, at 25 years old, I was barely scratching five grand together, let alone 10 grand. Wholesaling was the same thing. With wholesaling, as wholesaling is promoted, it's 
you know, it's a way that you can get into real estate investing, even though it's not really investing, but you're deal finding and you're able to get started with low money down or, or a little money out of pocket. The trade-off was, and one of the things that I didn't think was that communicated was if you don't have the money to invest in marketing and really pushing out there to find these off-market deals and good seller leads, you better be putting in a lot of time, right? And I was working a full-time job, right? I, was, I had a 9 to 5 job. I was working as an engineer in New York City. It was hard for me to kind of do both. And I, I did try. I'd say wholesaling was the one that I tried for the longest. Just came up short. I think one of the main reasons too, and this is talking from the off-market real estate side, right? So the thing about off-market and going off-market and going to buy deals off of the MLS, right, is you're looking to find sellers that are in some type of situation that you're able to help them. And ultimately, if they ideally for you, you're going to be able to capitalize on a discount, right? Or better terms from someone going direct to seller rather than if you just went on the MLS or Zillow to find a property, right? On the regular market. One of the things I learned from that was that and now this house I'm sitting in now, and we can get more into it. I'm doing a renovation loan on this. This I bought with a renovation loan as well. And this I bought off market. But one of the things that I didn't know then that I know now is when you go when you go direct to seller, right? When you don't have that agent involved, part of your value that you bring to the seller is being able to solve their problems and listen to them and see what their situation is. When I first started out, I was just focused on money, money, money. As a wholesaler, I just wanted to get them at the price that made sense for me. I didn't have conversations with them to learn their situations and try to understand what was going on with them. In retrospect, there was probably a couple of deals. You know, I did get leads, right? I got some leads, but I never closed any of them. But there were probably a couple that I wouldn't have been able to close if I just listened to people. And I think the biggest takeaway is like real estate investing is a, and real estate in general is a people business. And if you're just thinking about the dollars and cents and you're not thinking about the people and their situations and their problems, you're not going to last very long in this biz. When you say that you're in New York, are you talking New York City or New York State? Because you know, upstate New York, I've spent. Some, I'm I'm right in New Hampshire, so New York, upstate New York okay, is not sure. too far. Even New York City is not yeah. too far. It's like a three and a half, four hour drive. So upstate New York is a lot different than than downstate or even New York City. So I just want to kind of get some idea of where you're at. Yeah, so I'm in Long Island. So currently, the house I'm sitting in right now is in Long Island. Uh, I invest in Long Island. So Long Island's you know about an hour outside of New York City. It's a very high cost of living, very different than upstate New York in many cases. It's a big suburb of New York City. Most of the people that live here commute to the city to work every day. Again, stating from New York's huge, as you know, upstate New York and, and downstate and Long Island, New York might as well be two very different places. We're about an hour outside of New York City. And again, a lot of people work outside. You know, New York City, you know, I lived there for a number of years. I grew up in Long Island, but I moved to New York City for a little while. We had just moved back into the, now this house that we're in now. But Overall, still, you know, New York across the board is just is just trickier than a lot of other states. I mean, every every state's tough, right? At the end of the day, I like to say, you know, everybody comes to me with the same issue. Oh, how do I do this in my market? My market's so hot, right? I'm in Florida, my market's so hot. I'm in California, my market's so hot. Listen, everyone's market's hot, you know, especially in the last couple of years. It's been cooling off a little bit, but yeah, at the end of the day. Inventory is low. Every market's going to be hot, right? It's funny when I have people that come to me and they're like, yeah, I can't do this in my market. And I ask where they are and they're in like St. Louis. And I'm like, I can't get on your side with that, right? I did it here in New York. If you could do it in New York, you could do it anywhere, right? So it's, it's the same rules apply everywhere. 
So for those who aren't familiar with the 203k loan product, like you weren't, give us an overview of it, Mm -hmm. what some of the requirements there are for using one, et cetera. Let's dive deep into kind of this loan product. Sure. The 203k loan is an FHA loan. Okay. So it's, you know, FHA became like a, almost like a bad word in the last two years with the seller's market that we had because FHA loans are typically not, there's a lot of things that were holding people back and it, it's not a good case in the seller's market. But just because the 203k is an FHA loan doesn't mean it acts the same way a traditional one does, right? What's unique about the 203k loan is the 203k loan allows you to purchase properties that need renovation or they don't need a renovation. But the whole point of it is that it allows you to wrap the renovation budget into your mortgage, into your purchase price of your house. So what it allows you to do is still purchase properties for 3.5% down the way a traditional FHA works, but also use the bank's money to finance all the renovation costs so you don't have to finance any of it out of pocket. Now, where the 203k and FHA loans really shine, when you're first starting out, right? You know, this is we're talking about people that are just getting into the game, just like I was. When you're first starting out, you want to own a couple doors, you want to get into passive income, you want to house hack, stuff like that. 203k is beautiful for that because the 203k, just like the traditional FHA, allows you to purchase up to a four unit property so long as you live in one of the units. When I got started, I purchased a duplex, I've purchased a two family. It was actually kind of by accident, mostly because I was very, I, even at the time, even with a pretty decent job in the city, I still didn't make enough money to purchase like the worst stuff on Long Island, right? Again, talking about cost of living here and how expensive everything was, I was looking at the bottom of the barrel in my market. Okay. And I came up on this property and, you know, it was completely dilapidated. It was a literal crack house. It had, you know, there was crap everywhere, literally like human feces and animal feces everywhere. It smelled horrible. It was disgusting. However, kind of my realtor and loan officer were like, well, you could kind of, you know, this is something that's maybe in your price range. And I was like, well, no, it's not. Because I think at the time, I was only approved for about like 300000 or something like that, which again, is like the bottom of the barrel in New York, right? I was like, well, I can't get approved for this. And then they mentioned to me, well, listen, with the FHA loan, the 203K loan as well, you're able to forecast the future rental income that you'd be getting from the other units. This property happened to be a duplex. So what it allowed me to do is it allowed me to forecast 75% of the future rental income from the other tenant. And that put that on my debt to income ratio, which elevated my approval rating quite a bit. It approved me for like an extra $50,000, $60,000. It was essentially... It was another great way to get into something because again, on my own, I couldn't do it. But again, where this really shines is you're able to use this for multifamily properties. You know, some of the guidelines and everything, again, is all to the FHA loan. So if you're listening and you're familiar with the FHA, they're all the same guidelines, which are at the end of the day, pretty much the most liberal guidelines there could be for buying a house, right? The whole idea of the FHA loan was to allow as many people as possible to give them the opportunity to purchase their own home in their market, right? What do you have? You have very low down payment required. So three and a half percent down out of your pocket is all you need. In the 203K's case, the 3.5% down would be 3.5% of the purchase price of the property plus the renovation budget that, you requ- that you're going to be required to do the renovation that you want to do on your house. Easy numbers. For example, you purchase a house for $50,000 and you have a $50,000 renovation budget. You're all in for $100,000. The 203K is going to require you to put 3.5% down of that total. So that would be $3,500. All right. So that's where that comes in. Credit score... 580 credit score is the minimum in the guidelines. 
most banks now FHA is just guidelines, right? They actually the government's not the one giving you the loan. What they do is they write the guidelines and then the banks give you the loans based on those guidelines. They get incentives to do it. However, 580 credit scores the guidelines, but truth be told, most banks are going to be looking you to, for you to be in the 6s, 6 plus, right? Again, still very forgiving. A lot of conventional loans out there are looking to have you in the 7s, stuff like that. Again, gives you another opportunity there. Also, debt to income ratio. It's somewhere around the neighborhood of 50%, give or take. There's different situations where it could come up or down. But 50% of your debt to income ratio is what could go towards your, your monthly payment. When people ask, like, what can I get approved for? At the end of the day, everything is based off of that debt to income ratio, right? And again, that's why it's great that you can buy a distressed multifamily property, not only build equity into it doing the renovation, but then you can also get forecast that future income to get you approved for more than you would have on your own. So those are the really main factors of it in terms of guidelines and what they require from the borrower to purchase. It needs to be you. It needs to be under your name. What people love to uh, people love to talk about using their LLC. You're not there yet, right? There's no LLC to be had here. That you're buying with your own name. That's how you get all of the benefits and make sure that you're getting the low interest rates, the low down payment. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Hey guys, about a year and a half ago, my wife and I got married and one of the most stressful parts of our relationship has been trying to join our finances together. We all know that money issues are a leading cause of divorce, but Monarch, the top rated personal finance app, has built in collaboration features so that you can invite your partner at no extra cost. Together, you can see all your finances, collaborate on your budget and get insights on your cash flow and recurring transactions. It's the easiest way to manage your household finances. Unlike other personal finance apps that we tried, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving the product, and they release updates every two weeks and allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. Most importantly, they never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch for myself, my wife and I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners on this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash MI. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash MI for your extended 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash MI for an extended 30-day free trial. Hey guys, have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGPT specifically built for the stock market? A tool that not only does the research and analysis for you, but also allows for dynamic discussions? Well, wonder no more. Meet Meka, your AI-powered stock research assistant, now enhanced with real-time stock data. Let Meka do the heavy lifting for you to significantly reduce your research time. And the best part, Meka is 100% free. Ask Meka questions like, Explore the financial health of Apple through a summary of its balance sheet. Compare the financial statements of Apple and Tesla. What is the analyst price target for Microsoft? What is the social sentiment analysis of Amazon and millions of other queries right at your fingertips? Visit Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A.com. Hey guys, when it comes to financial advice, you've got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever credit card was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? 
lounge access, a free flight to a bucket list destination. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and much more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. Check out nerdwallet.com and start making smarter financial decisions. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. All right, back to the show. So my understanding is that since this is an FHA product, if somebody already has an FHA loan, just a regular one without a 203k, they wouldn't be able to do this as well, correct? You can still only have one FHA product at a time? Right, that's correct. So obviously, it depends on your situation. The whole point of this loan is to really get people started and get people off the ground, right? Especially with the 203k, right? The FHA by itself is, is great, again, for the multifamily at least. However, what I really loved about the 203k loan is it allowed me to build equity into the deal. It depends on your goals, right? But yeah, to answer your question at the end of the day, you have to make sure that you're within the confines of the FHA guidelines, right? The FHA guidelines state that you're using this as your primary residence, right? That has to make sense. That has to be what you're doing, right? They don't want to see you using it over and over again. Obviously, it's a really lucrative loan. It's a great loan product. It's giving you an advantage above you know, other loans that are out there. So when you use it, you want to make sure that you're using it in earnest and you have to have, you know, the rule is to have, you can have one under your name at any given time. There's one caveat to that rule, which is that if you are moving over 150 miles away or something like that, you could keep the remaining as long as you have a plan on what to do with it. Guidelines are kind of weird on if you're leaving the property, if you're renting it out, you know, you have to have good reason. You still have to be able to get approved at the income ratio to pay for both properties. But yeah, to answer your question, it's, it's just one at a time. So how are you doing this logistically? You're buying one, renovating it, et cetera, living there for a year. And then, and then what? Are you selling it Are you so that you can get rid of that FHA loan and do it again? Are you refinancing into conventional so you can then use the FHA again for your next property? Like, What does that look like? So the short answer to the question is I, I don't repeat the process. So me and my wife, we're in one now, and this is now years later. Again, the 203k strategy and the 203k way that I promote and I, I tell people about is basically combining house hacking and the burst strategy into one. Okay. So what it's allowing you to do is number one, so on my first deal, so just to give you just to back up, right? Give you a little bit on my first one with my 203k, right? So I purchased this property for 270,000, okay, this duplex, and I put $80,000 of renovation budget into the property. It was a full gut rehab and it was a pretty heavy rehab and but I knew going into this when I looked at it through the eyes of an investor, you can really see how impressive this loan can come to be, right? Ultimately, what it allows you to do, again, is, is use all the bank's money to get all the benefits of the equity that you're able to build. I knew that after the renovation that this property would be worth somewhere in the neighborhood of the 400000 range, okay? I knew right there that I was going to build some equity into it. I also knew that I was going to be able to live in one unit, rent out the other one, basically have the tenant pay my mortgage or close almost all of it. And then eventually down the line, move out and then you know rent out both units for cash flow. What ended up happening was I ended up finishing the renovation eight months later. It was about... So I was all in for 350000 After the renovation was completed, I got a reappraisal because I was going to immediately refinance into conventional. Right. One of the cool things, again, to your point about having multiple FHA loans at any given time, FHA is great, but it does have that thing called mortgage insurance on it. Right. For anybody that doesn't know what mortgage insurance is, Mortgage insurance is basically the fee you pay for using a low down payment loan. You're basically paying into this big insurance fund for all other people that are getting low down payment loans. 
And you know, it's anywhere from it's a couple hundred bucks a month on your payment. So I wanted to get rid of that. Also, 203k loans are usually like a quarter point interest rate higher than than other loans. So I wanted to get into a better a better rate as well. So I immediately refinanced out. But the reason I was able to refinance is because I built 130,000 of equity into the deal, okay? So I had more than enough equity to refinance into conventional. And then once I did that, I no longer had an FHA under my belt. But most importantly, I had a lot of equity in this property now that I was able to use and leverage to go buy more deals with. And that was kind of the point. So for me, I got that first property. I basically did a Burr strategy with only 3.5% down, right? I bought it, renovated it, rented everything out, and then repeated the process. Now, the way I repeated the process was I took that equity and now I combine it with hard money on my next deal. So I actually got into flipping afterwards. That was, that was really my primary focus was to getting into the flipping game. So I wasn't really into the whole game. I'm still not as much. But what ended up happening was I, that equity that I had was all the money that I felt like I needed for the longest time that I couldn't get on my own. Right? I went from only having... My down payment for that property was 9500 bucks. I created 130000 out of that. So when you think about I mean, how much I 10x'd my money or more, not counting the money I was making on the, on the, on the cash flow, that opened so many doors for me. So what I like to tell people is like, you know, I have people in my community, right? People that I, that I walk through this process. And ultimately, like they all... And I thought myself that you would go and repeat it and go do another 203k loan, right? Because the 203k loan like sounds great, right? If you could keep staying within the confines of the loans. And, and listen, it's possible. Can you repeat it? Absolutely. However, you have to stay within the guidelines and it has to make sense and the banks need to approve it and everything like that. But as long as you play by the rules, and you're doing it in earnest, and you're not doing anything shady, 100%, this is something that you could repeat a couple times over the years, right? However, what people realize is, again, especially people that are looking at it through the eyes of an investor is, you do one, you're really not going to need to repeat it. Because what's going to happen is you're going to create a lot of equity from it. You're going to get a lot of experience from it. And you're also going to learn the process on how to, you're going you're to be able to leverage your experience and everything like that. You know, what ended up happening was I actually didn't even tap into the actual equity on my house. I had something laid out with a hard money lender that I did, and they basically gave me a line of credit secured by that property, but they, I didn't actually need to take, pull the equity out of the house. They just gave me a line of credit that was secured on the property, and then I, that covered up my equity, and then they covered the rest. They also liked that I had just done a flip that was a very profitable flip. So now they were willing to give me better terms, everything like that. A lot of people that go through this, they realize that they don't actually even tap into that equity because they realize that money is actually isn't the issue. It's the experience and learning how to find good deals. And then the money you could raise via private capital or, or what have you. So that's usually what ends up happening. How do interest rates compare on a 203k loan to a traditional FHA or owner-occupied loan? And, and I don't necessarily mean like what percentage exactly are they today? Because yeah. somebody could listen to it today, listen to it in three weeks, a year from now, interest rates are obviously going to be different. But I'm just curious, what is like the relationship with a 203k loan interest rate versus regular? Are they traditionally like one point higher? Are they two points higher? Are they no, about the same? No, like, yeah, no, not even close, like a quarter point. Remember, FHA is like the lowest interest rate product that's out there, right? They're actually always traditionally a little lower than conventional in many cases, right? But when you um, add in that rehab it component, it becomes a little bit more risky for the bank. So it I becomes I, a little more risky. So they'll add like the quarter point in. The banks actually make more money on these loans. They actually like FHA loans. That's kind of part of the reason why FHA, you know, they built it into the loan product to give them a little bit of motivation to do these loans, right? 
It's behoof of the banks. Now we can get into why kinds of sometimes it gets a bad name. Reality is it's more involved, right? Now, there are plenty of lenders out there that specialize in these types of things. And that's always what I, what I recommend to people that are looking to get into this. But yeah, I mean, you could look and shop around and notice you know, that they'll be a little bit higher on a renovation loan, but really not much. You know, 203K loans and home style loans, it's, another, it's Fannie Mae's version of the 203K, very popular, just as popular as the 203K. These are products that are out there. But again, it really shouldn't be that much different than conventional. How about the rehabs themselves? What rehabs can be done with a 203k loan? Does it have to be a full gut renovation? Can it be a light rehab? Can you pretty much do any rehab you want? Like, How does that work? Ultimately, there's no really limit to what you can do on, on rehabs. When I say no limit, I mean virtually no limit. You can, you can buy anything from a house that's barely got a foundation sitting on it barely sitting on a foundation. And as long as it's within your budget on what you're approved for, if you can afford to do the new build on top of that existing... you know, I shouldn't... Let's not mix it up. So you, what you're not allowed to do is you're not allowed to just buy land and use a 203k to build. Okay, There needs to be some sort of existing residential scru- structure. Now, that existing residential structure could be really dilapidated. As long as you have the budget in your what you're approved for for your loan, and you can afford to do like all the construction that needs to get the property up to snuff, your game, right? It's totally within what you're approved for. You know, so you can get anything from something like I bought, which was like completely falling down to like it just like, completely crap, to you could buy something that's completely move and ready. And maybe you're just like a, you know, you're just Harry and Sally home buyer and you just want to renovate your kitchens and bathrooms and you want the bank to pay for it. You don't want to pay it out of pocket. You want to finance it over 30 years on your mortgage. So there's no in between, right? But again, where the value comes in for me and people that want to be investors and everything like that is to find something that's really messed up, find something that's really beat up in the same way a flipper would, because ultimately that's where you build in the most equity, right? You're only putting in, you're putting in such a low amount of money out of your pocket to be able to finance a ton of money on the other end. When you think about how powerful of a loan that is, you know, the other caveat to it is like, they won't let you really do anything outside of the existing structure. Like generally speaking, they're not going to let you build a pool house or like big basketball court or stuff like that. It has to be integral to the property. So occasionally, these types of properties that you'll want to do this with will hit the MLS, but not too often. And at least in my experience, when I see that they have hit the MLS, they're still usually overpriced. People are still asking too much money for them. So how are you finding the types of properties that work well with a 203k loan, especially for somebody who's newer, who might not know these off-market strategies, cold calling, things like that? You know, I've always said that, that 203k loans allow people to buy in kind of the Goldilocks zone, right? To your point, right? When it goes to the MLS, you know, in this day and age, it's like, although that's changed a little bit, and you know, as, as, as we're talking right now, the market's softening up. But you know, for the last two, three years, yeah, you were finding that it was, you know, it was maybe tougher to find something that would pencil out. So traditionally, when I when I first started this and, and I, I was helping some other friends and family do this, you know, foreclosures were big, right? And I always felt that foreclosure properties, properties that were listed on the MLS by the banks, were always kind of priced in a position where yeah, they were still a little high. But again, given the terms of the 203k loan, you're putting so little out of pocket, you're getting such a low interest rate. You were able to afford more than like a flipper would, right? If I was a flipper. I'd be looking to pick up at 60 cents on the dollar, 65 cents on the dollar, where banks are listing it at 80 cents on the dollar, 75 cents on the dollar. But when it's your own property, you're living in it, you feel like you're going to be having and holding on to it long term, the numbers can really work out. The first end of it, I would say, is that 
There's a Goldilocks zone in the sense that anything that's kind of a fixer-upper on the MLS is a great, great thing to go after with the 203K. Because what you're going to find is, you know, again, the last two years kind of holding aside, you're going to be able to pay more than cash buyers and, and flippers and stuff like that. Because flippers have a lot more they have to, they have to account for in terms, terms of revenue and overhead and cost of capital and everything like that. Again, you have the lowest cost of capital and you're putting the lowest amount out of pocket. So you have so much ability to just to leverage this stuff to the hilts that other people don't have. So traditionally, again, you're able to play more. So that's why I say like, if you really want to succeed with this, you need to play the numbers game, right? And this isn't everything. People in my community, people that I've worked with, myself included, you got to place 10, 15, 20 offers to find a deal, right? It, it, listen, if it was easy to just go on Zillow and just find something that penciled out, and you and like and you just like go like okay, Mister Seller, this is what I'm going to pay, and I'm going to make twenty percent equity. It wouldn't be a deal, right? Deals are made, not found, right? So at the end of the day, like what I tell people is, you just need to place as many offers as possible. You need to just constantly place offers on anything and everything that could possibly pencil out, and place the offers where it makes sense for you. Now, off market, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a great arsenal to add. But I would still say, like, ninety percent of the people in my community and people that I've spoken to still get their deals off of the MLS, just because, again, you're in that Goldilocks zone. You're you're not where retail buyers are because retail buyers are looking for move and ready. They wouldn't even be able to get approved for something that couldn't pass inspection. Then you have the flippers and everybody down here and wholesalers and stuff, and they're down here and they're looking for like super super cheap properties. So you're kind of in this like little bit of a limbo zone where you have a little more play than most people do. And that's why I would say just MLS still hit it, still just place a lot of offers more than you think. And what I'm finding is you place about 10 to 20 offers, you're going to find something that works out and you're going to find a seller that's willing to negotiate and you're able to scoop something up for a good price. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Do you guys ever feel overwhelmed with all that's going on in the markets and feel like you just can't keep up with the day-to-day news headlines? Today's show sponsor, Yahoo Finance, is my go-to solution to keeping up with today's top news and stay informed with what is happening globally. With Yahoo Finance, I'm able to see the biggest trends and biggest movers in the stock market, what is happening with interest rates, major geopolitical events, and much more. If it wasn't for Yahoo Finance, I would have no idea that Tesla is laying off 10% of their staff or why iPhone shipments are down 9% year over year. Yahoo Finance also has a number of other cool features, including a tool that lets you link in all of your investment accounts, analyst ratings and independent research, as well as the ability to create customized charts. Yahoo Finance is one of my favorite tools I use in my investing toolkit, and it's what I use each morning to kick off my day and stay in the loop with what's happening in the markets. Join more than 90 million monthly users today and get comprehensive financial news and analysis at yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hey guys, when it comes to financial advice, you've got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever credit card was in my wallet but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? A free flight to a bucket list destination? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. 
Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and much more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. Check out nerdwallet.com and start making smarter financial decisions. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Everything seems to be more expensive these days. I've noticed this at my own businesses that I've run. You'd be wise to find proven ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash mi. netsuite.com slash mi. That's netsuite.com slash mi. All right, back to the show. What are the rules around who can do the work on the properties? What are the contractor rules? Things like that when it comes to 203 loan. The rule really is that they just want to make sure that it's a licensed and insured contractor that has experience, has some trade lines, and is able to financially back the project. It's funny because this ends up being a sticking point for a lot of people. People say like, oh, I can't find contractors that'll do this work. That's a good thing, right? Those are red flags. The the reasons that contractors don't like doing this is because... And I could say this because I grew up in the business. My dad's a general contractor. I I know what they're referring to. There's guys in the business that work out of the back of their truck. And that's most of the business. I would say that's 80-90% of the business. Okay, They don't have a back office. They're not built as a business. They're a guy that's really good with their hands. And then they become a business by default. Again, my family is included in that. My mom does the paperwork. My dad is the general contractor. Like I know how this game works. Now, my dad has done multiple 203k loans at this point. He understands them now. And you know, in the beginning, he hated the paperwork, but now once he's done it once or twice, he realizes what it is. And you know, I tell people to tell contractors it's guaranteed money, right? I tell people all the time, like if you talk to a contractor, a contractor goes and does a project with a new client, and they say, "Okay, you want to sign the contract? All right, we're going to start ten percent deposit. Great. They give you that ten percent deposit. Do you know for sure that that seller or that or that property owner has the other ninety percent of the money? Or they're just going to lead you down. They're just going to lead you down the path, and you're going to find out that they don't even have the money to pay for it. This is guaranteed money. The way that it works is you create the renovation budget during one year in the contract. So once you go into contract, you're going to bring in someone called a 203k consultant. They're basically like a home inspector. They also, but they're what they're also adding to the report is a scope of work of what you want to do to the property to renovate it and getting it up to snuff. Then they're going to create a scope of work from that. And then you're going to bid that scope of work out to contractors. And contractors are going to come back to you with numbers. And then you pick the contractor that you want to go with and the number that makes sense. Once you close on the property, that renovation budget plus a 10% slush fund goes into, uh, into an escrow account. 
that money's there. It's guaranteed. It's there to be paid out for you. What the bank wants to know is the bank wants to know that these contractors are good enough to do it. Now, again, the banks are looking for licensed, insured. They also look to make sure that you have trade lines, right? So you're able to go and you're able to get materials. What they don't want to see happen is the contractor run out of money on the project and then not be able to continue without more money. That's a bad thing. And what I don't think people understand, again, having been in the business for a very long time, worked in New York City doing very high-end construction, one of the things that people have a sticking point on 203Ks is... Now, some banks are better than others, but usually banks are not going to give you a deposit upfront to start the work. The contractor needs to be able to mobilize and start the project without their first deposit or draw. Now, I know that sounds foreign to a lot of people, but believe it or not, in big construction, again, big construction in Manhattan or pretty much anywhere in the US, no contractors start with a deposit. There's no such thing as deposits because they want to make sure that you're financially able to run the project. This, is, this shouldn't just be for 203k loans. This should be at all loans. The reason why contractors get bad rep are because people continue to pick bad contractors that aren't suited for these types of projects. And what happens is these contractors get into scenarios where they're not spending the money on the project. They're spending the money on their rent, their car, their kids, everything else. And they're mixing up the profits and they're mixing up their deposits with things that happen. I know this is a long answer to your question, but I think I just want to get the point across because people come to me all the time with that saying like, oh, I can't find a contractor that's willing to do the work. Good. There's only a small percentage that should be able and would be able to do it. And when I, you know, on my side, I want to make sure that I'm working with the best of the best contractor that I can afford. The cheap guy will never work out. There's price versus cost. You get the lowest cost guy, lowest price guy. It's always going to cost you longer, more in the long run. Okay. You get what you pay for in this business and you want to make sure that you always hire the best contractor that you can afford that's licensed and insured and has the wherewithal to make this project done. When it comes to rehabs or really any project or service that you're paying for, it's said that there's this triangle of cost, quality, and time. And the yep. cost is how much you're going to pay. All three. Time is how long it's going to take. Quality is how good it's going to be. And you can't have all three. You got to pick two. It's You, know, you always got to pick the two you want. And so I, it sounds like it's the, the same case here. No, it's everywhere, right? You know, it's, it's, and again, like I, you know, when I tell people about this, I'm like, this is no different than I, listen, I see flippers in the business. I have guys that are contacting, you know, my dad all the time and just like that, use the cheap guy. Listen, you're never going to save money on the renovation. You don't save money on the renovation. I'll say it again, right? People, newbies, I don't know why. I don't know why this is a thing. I don't know why it continues to perpetuate while everybody, like people that are experienced, continue to scream from the mountaintops. You cannot cheap your way out of a renovation. Every person getting into real estate still thinks they can do it. The renovation number is the renovation number, okay? You're not going to get a deal because your dad's friend's brother is a plumber. You're not going to be able to shave money off. The renovation cost is always going to be the renovation cost. There's nothing you can do. That price is fixed. You have to understand it as that. The way you get around that is by buying better. You make money on the purchase, right? I'm sure you've heard that a thousand times. If you're listening to this, you probably heard that a thousand times as well. If you need $10,000 more in renovation budget, it's way easier to try to get the price lower $10,000 than to try to save 10 grand on the renovation. 10 grand goes a lot longer way on a renovation than it does on just asking for a price reduction. It's way easier to do that than to try to scrape out $10,000 worth of work. I mean, again, I think like to your point of the triangle, it's just you can't have all three. 
And I mean, I would always prefer to always have the people that are good quality and I'm willing to pay for that quality because I know it's going to cost me less in the long run. What are some of the mistakes that you've made using 203k loans? And what are some of the mistakes that you see new people? You help new people do this all the time. What are some of the mistakes that you're seeing them sure. make? So it's kind of just piggyback off what I just said, just buying too high. Again, especially if they're looking to use this as an investment, right? Looking to use the 203k to basically do a burr strategy or house hacking strategy. But really more importantly than that is the number one mistake people make is they work with lenders, 203k consultants and or contractors that just don't understand this process. Mostly starting with the lender, right? The lender kind of is going to quarterback the entire thing in the sense that like, if you have a bad lender, nothing else is going to work well. There's not many banks that specialize in this. Many will actually try to steer you away from it. The reason they steer you away from it is not because they want it, your, they want it to be in your best interest. The reason they steer you away from it is because they don't understand it and then they can't sell you as a, they can't sell you. So they're going to try to put you in something else. They don't care about your best interest. They care about their best interest, which is fine. That's right. How to win friends and influence people. Everybody cares about themselves. So at the end of the day, if you decide this is something that you want to do, just know that there are plenty of renovation specialized lenders that exist out there that are more than willing to do these loans and actually specialize in these types of loans. What you'll find is when you work with someone that specializes in them, the paperwork process is not that difficult. It's pretty, pretty clear cut. And again, when you talk about what the 203k loan does in terms, of, in terms of leverage, right? when you think about how much money the bank is giving you in exchange for 3.5% down, they're giving, you, they're giving you the purchase price to a house, plus they're financing all of the renovation costs for you. Yes, they're going to want your ducks to be in a row. Yes, they are going to want a contractor that knows what the hell they're doing. Yes, they're going to want to make sure that you have a clear scope of work. That's not outlandish to think. The fact that people use, oh, there's extra paperwork as a reason not to use this loan just goes to show me that people just don't like money or they want the easy way out. And you know, I, honestly, if that's the way that you're going to go through life, you're going to have a really rough time regardless. What they're asking for in return for what they're giving, I still think, in my opinion, is still insane. It's by far the most powerful form of leverage that exists for the average borrower, period. I would go, I'd go to the grave with that. The biggest thing, though, is require, is making sure that you have a lender that's experienced with this process. So that's the first thing. I talk a lot on my, you know, on my, we could give like info on my socials and everything like that. I talk about it all the time. But, you know, one of the quickest ways you could do it is just looking up the 203K endorsement summary. It's something that you can Google. It's the HUD directory and you can go in, scroll down to the most recent month and year. And then you can look through your market and see who's doing the most 203K loans in your market. Okay. One of the ways you do that is you go through and you look at which brokerages are doing the most. Then you call your local brokers. Some of them are national, right? Some of them are like Loan Depot or some of the big guys. But you call the local branch to your market and say, Hey, who's the head of renovation lending in your market? And what they'll do is they'll put you in contact with that person. And generally speaking, you're going to be put on the phone with someone that's going to absolutely actually know what they're doing. I would still say call around and call a bunch of those different ones that come up on the list. I just feel them out. And at the end of the day, you can know very quickly if these people are just BSing you or not by the way they answer some questions to you. But that's probably the biggest thing. The last thing I would say is to the point of the contractors and 203K consultants. 203K consultants can be bad too, right? Just because they're, they're certified 203K consultants doesn't mean they're not good. I've dealt with a lot of bad ones. I've dealt with a lot of good ones and I've seen the difference that it can make. The 203K consultant is basically a, a hybrid between a between an inspector and a cost estimator and like a project estimator, okay? They only they not only need to understand how to how to inspect the house, 
but they also need to understand what work needs to go into a house and roughly what it would cost. So where a lot of people screw up is they get their contractor in the house first and their contractor builds up a scope of work. And then the two or three K consultant comes in and they tell you they basically muddy up the waters. It should be in the opposite direction. What you need to do is you need to bring the 203K consultant in first because they're going to inspect the property and tell you what the property needs. They're also going to tell you what you would, you know, and they're, you're going to go through and then tell them what you'd like to do to the property. They're going to create something called an SOR report. It's a schedule of repairs. But basically what that is, is that's a scope of work denoting what needs to be done to the property to get it up to code and make sure it's up to FHA guidelines and it's safe. And then they're also going to go into what you want to do to the property to renovate it to make it your own. From there, once you have that scope of work, that scope of work should go to the contractors that you are bidding on the property and you show them that scope of work and you let them know, hey, what is for this scope of work, what is labor and material going to be? It actually makes the process a lot easier for the contractor. And now what you're doing is you're doing something called leveling the bid, which again, in the construction business is extremely important. It gets done on every single project. But leveling the bid makes sure that when you're getting multiple contractors to bid, which you should always do, that's another mistake people make is they just get one contractor come in. You should always have multiple contractors. I always say three to five contractors bidding on your project. Now you can compare all... They're all bidding on the same scope of work. Now you can compare numbers across the board and you can see where guys are high, guys are low. And that'll actually help you get the best bang for your buck as well when you decide on a contractor that's going to be best for you. Matt, you briefly mentioned your socials. Let's give a handoff to everybody who's listening as we wrap up the show to know where they can go to find you, connect with you, learn more about what you're doing, what you're teaching, more about 203k loans. Yeah, sure. Instagram's where this all started, right? Back in like 2018, 2019, you know, I was like, I asked my wife, I was sitting on a couch one day, I was like, hey, do you think if I like made an Instagram account about this, people would care? <laughs> and like, you know, I would answer some questions about 203k loans because honestly, there was no one out there answering them, I feel like prior to me. You know, when I did this the first time, I was kind of, I really just figured it out on my own. Anyway, so that's a little story behind Instagram. So Instagram happens to be where where you could find me the most. It's at the 203k way, at the 203k way on Instagram. There's the 203k way.com and also I'm on YouTube as well. That one you could just search the 203k way. You'll see my face popping up everywhere. You could subscribe to that channel. That's where I go a little more in depth into a lot of different strategies, finding contractors, how to find the right deals for 203k's, stuff like that. I'll be sure to put a link to all your different resources in the show notes below for anybody that's interested in checking them out. Matt, thanks so much for joining me. Robert, thanks, man. Good to be here. Thanks again. All right, guys. That's all I had for this week's episode of Real Estate Investing. I'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to TIP. Make sure to subscribe to We Study Billionaires by the Investors Podcast Network. Every Wednesday, we teach you about Bitcoin, and every Saturday, we study billionaires and the financial markets. To access our show notes, transcripts, or courses, go to theinvestorspodcast.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by the Investors Podcast Network. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.